If you're just joining us, the word mande means command, and it comes from this statement, this command that Jesus makes when he's in the upper room with his disciples, and he says to them, this is the night that he's arrested, he says to them, love one another as I have loved you. That's, what, that's our starting point today. In John 13, 34, Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. Now, what I want to do is I want to take us through the story of this great display of God's love for us. And if you're just joining us, this is a communion service. And the idea here is that we are being swept up into the story. Communion is about the visible words of the gospel. So it's like a divine drama playing out. And we are actors in this drama, and we've been swept up into the drama. So we're part of it. We're in a brand new story that's being told. And here's how the story starts. Well, here's where the story gets really good, but really sad. So Jesus is with his disciples, and he asks one of them to go find a place for them. And so they find this upper room, and he goes up there. And while they're up there, he begins to wash his disciples' feet. Now again, we're, we're, here's what we're looking for. Love one another as he has loved us. So look at the display of his love. He begins to wash his disciples' feet, and he gets over to Peter. And Peter says, no, 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 this is crazy, Jesus. You should not be washing my feet. I should be washing yours. And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no place, and you have no place with me. And so Peter, so Peter says, oh, then, then wash all of me. And Jesus is like, Peter, it's fine. I'm just going to wash your feet. Everything's going to be fine. And so he's beginning to wash his feet. Now, this, this is important to hear. Jesus says, I have not come to serve, but to be served. No, I have not come to be served, but to serve. I'm sorry, flip that. He's come to serve. And we see this displayed beautifully as he's washing his disciples' feet. So this happens, and, and by the way, Judas, the one who would betray him, who would sell him off, and eventually be the reason why he's killed, is sitting there with him. So he's, and he, Jesus knows what's happening. He knows what Judas is up to, yet he washes his feet anyways. And then they're having this meal together. And as they're having this meal, in the middle of the meal, Jesus takes bread, and he wants them to see something. He wants them to see what is about to happen to Jesus. And so what he does is he takes bread and he says, this is my body that's broken for you. And then he takes the cup and he pours out the cup and he says, this is my blood that will be shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And he does this and because he knows what's coming. He knows that the cross is coming. So this begins to happen and then it's they finish their communion meal together, and then Jesus finds himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying. And as he's pr praying, he begins to weep. And this is something that Jesus did a lot throughout his life. He was weeping, and he's crying out to God often. But something different happens in this Garden of Gethsemane. He begins to sweat blood. This is something that actually can happen if someone is under enough stress, they will begin to sweat blood. It's called hematidrosis. So what I think has just happened here is Jesus has been given a vivid picture in his prayers of what's coming to him, what's next. And he sees the coming cross, 
and he knows what's coming, and it, it begins to work up in him so much stress. Somehow he's not sinning as he's experiencing this great stress, but it's causing him so much stress that he's beginning to sweat blood. And there's a fascinating part, by the way, if you've seen the movie Passion of the Christ, there's a lot that's wrong with that movie, but there's a lot that's right. And one of the things that's beautiful is there's this picture where Jesus is praying in the garden, and this snake slithers up. And when the snake slithers up, it doesn't actually happen in the Bible this way, but it's, it's pointing to something. Jesus stomps on the snake's head. Now go back to Genesis 3, the promise that God gives to, add, to actually to the serpent is that there will be an offspring that comes from Adam and Eve that will crush the head of the serpent. So it's this beautiful picture of what's happening, what's about to happen. So then uh, this huge battalion of soldiers comes while Jesus is praying. And it's a huge battalion. It's, a, it's soldiers. It's like These are fierce people. And they want to make sure that they find this Jesus who's been causing so much problems. So Judas has just betrayed him, and he told this, this group of people, this, these soldiers, I, I'm going to show you who Jesus is by kissing him. And so Jesus is betrayed with a kiss by the same one who he had just washed his feet and by the one he had just shared a meal with. So then he's arrested, and he's tried by the Jewish leaders, and basically... They're like, who are you? And he says, I'm the Messiah, and I'm God in the flesh. And they say, blasphemy. And so they say, you deserve to die. And then he's with Pilate, and Pilate starts asking him questions. And Pilate's like, listen, you don't know who I am. I have the power to set you free. And Jesus basically says, you have no power over me. My kingdom is not of this world, but it's of another world. So uh, Pilate gets a little bit freaked out about this answer. And isn't sure what to do, and so he decides, you know what, I'm going to find a way to get Jesus to be able to go free. So he, so he takes this horrible man, Barabbas, who is a murderer, and he says to the Jewish people, look, you either are going to set Barabbas free or Jesus free. You're going to have to pick one of them. And to Pilate's surprise, they pick Barabbas to go free and Jesus to go to the cross. Now what's interesting is, Barabbas in a lot of ways represents us, where Jesus has just lived this perfect life, and this exchange has happened where we go free and he gets the cross. When the cross was meant for us, yet he takes it from us. So now it's time for him to start moving towards the cross, and so they begin to torture him. And the way they did it is they took what's called a cat of nine tails. Essentially, they're whipping him. And at the end of this cat of nine tails, there's these little grips. And they would grip into his skin as they hit his back, and they get stuck there. And then they get ripped off, and it would literally pull the flesh off of his body. And then they give him this crown of thorns. Now, this I just discovered this. I'm so excited about it. When In Genesis 3, when we are told... What the, how the earth is cursed, we are told that now thorns and thistles will grow up out of the ground. And it's, it's just beautifully amazing the way that we see now Jesus crowned as king with the curse from sin that is brought into the world. Sin grew up these thorns and thistles, and then these thorns, thorns and thistles, because of the curse, have been shaped into a crown and placed upon the Creator's 
It's just this beautiful picture that Jesus is saying, I'm taking the curse that is meant for us. This is in Genesis 3. You know what you, or not Genesis, well, Genesis 3, but then look at Galatians 3. And in fact, read Galatians 3 this week and also read Isaiah 53. And it will blow your mind all the connections that are to Genesis 3 and what happens at the cross. So now we're moving forward and Jesus now begins to carry his cross to the place where he will be killed. And he needs some help carrying it because of all that's happened to him. It's a heavy cross. And so he gets there. And they begin to nail him on the cross. And what they would have done is taken nails not in his hand but in his wrist. So that the two bones would be able to hold him up with that nail right there between these two bones. And then they would have taken another nail and put it right through his feet. And then what would happen is in order for Jesus to breathe, because all this weight would be upon his chest... He would have to pull up by the nails that are stuck in his wrists and push up by the nails, the nail that is in his foot. It's incredibly painful, but he's got to do it if he's going to take a breath. So this continues on and on. And then in this agony, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What has just happened is Jesus, for the first time, has been separated from his Father. In fact, the Trinity, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, have always been perfectly one. And in this moment on the cross, the Trinity is ripped apart. And it's ripped apart so that Jesus could come and get us in a very real way. He's punished in our place. So he begins to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The only place in the Bible where Jesus doesn't call God Father. Right there, because in that moment, he becomes an orphan. In that moment, he becomes an outcast so that we can become sons and daughters of God. And so we can become welcomed in. And then, it's about to be over. And he cries out again, it is finished. Telestai in Greek. And what it means is everything that Jesus came to do, his very mission, was to die. And he had just completed his mission. It was about to be over. He's about to suffer pains of hell, then rise from the grave. But that's Sunday, so don't get, I can't get ahead too far. Um, and so he cries out, it is finished, it's done. Now what I want to do right here is just let us feel the weight of this. Because the disciples did not know. I mean, they were told about Easter. They were told about the resurrection. But it was not on their minds. Uh, they didn't make the connections when Jesus talked about it. So because of that, they see their Lord, their King, their Savior hanging on a cross, dead. And they feel the weight of it. They feel like all hope is lost. They're looking at this and they're saying... This is the worst thing that has ever happened. But we know today that somehow this worst thing that has ever happened is actually the best thing that's ever happened. So we're looking forward, but they didn't get to. So I want us to just feel the weight of that a bit as we're taking communion. I want us to feel the weight of what Jesus has gone through. I want us to think about the fact that he's sweating blood because he's under that much stress that much heartache, that much he knows what's coming at him. And, and so I, I want us to think about that, and I want us to think about just that just in a few hours from now, 
it will come the time when Jesus is sweating blood, when he is in that garden and he's praying, and he's beginning to feel the agony of what is to come. So it's time for us to have communion together. And again, if you missed this in the beginning, this is about seeing ourselves written into the divine drama of Jesus coming and rescuing us. And by us taking part in this, it means that we see ourselves written into the story. This is a proclamation of what you believe. So when you eat and you drink, you're saying, I believe this is true. I believe that God has come and that God has died for me. As crazy as it sounds, it happened because it was the way that God would rescue his people.